welcome to the Landman Pivot Podcast. I'm your host and pivot coach, Ryan Fairbanks. I'm a registered professional landman with the American Association of Professional Landmen. During my 15 years as a petroleum landman, I've gained a passion for helping others level up their skill set and mindset so they can be ready for anything in our ever-changing industry. One of my favorite ways to do this is by introducing listeners to mentors and coaches like me who want to see you succeed. At the end of the interview, I'll tell you more about additional resources you can use to forge new connections and gain new skills to get you moving forward with confidence. Today, we're here with Rebecca Ponton. She's an editor of Oil Woman Magazine and had a lot of experience in the land industry. And happy to have you with us today, Rebecca. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you asking me to be on. Great to have you here. You want to give us a little bit of your history, kind of experience, and what got you into the land industry? Okay, sure. I'm sure I'm not as experienced as some of your listeners, but uh, this does mark my 10th year as a landman, so that's kind of an exciting milestone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am a journalist, and you know that's my education and my background, and, and I've done that for many, many years. But about 10 years ago, I was very fortunate that a friend of mine uh, had become a landman. Prior to that, she'd been a teacher. So it's kind of interesting how people get into this field. And, uh, you know, if you look at the history, 10 years ago, we were uh, in the midst of the Eagle Ford shell boom. So that was a great time to be a landman. It's a great time to be uh, become part of the industry. And my friend was working on a project and needed some help. So she called me up and she said, I think you'd be good at this because of your experience doing research as a journalist. And I said, well, you know, of course, I don't know anything about land work, but I love to do research. So, yeah, let's give it a try. And of course, I I fell in love with it because I do like the research part of it. I know <laughs> some of your listeners are probably going, ooh, that's the part I don't like about it. Um, and, you know, of course, a lot of landmen want to get out there and buy and sell leases. And, and that's that's a nice part of the job, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but I but I do enjoy the research part. And um, so I, I, went, I uh, joined her on this project. And um, it was it was rough. It was a <laughs> it was a long involved project and, a you know, probably a good initiation, you know, by fire <laughs> trial by fire. And um, but we finished it and it was successful. And it, so then I was hooked, you know, and uh, have have been doing land work ever since. But what happened, Ryan, is, you know, in my experience, and of course, you have to remember, I work in in mainly in central and south Texas, some occasionally in east Texas. But, you know, it's it's a pretty even split between male and female uh, landmen. And, you know, I didn't really notice uh, a lot of disparity or anything like that. I didn't I didn't really notice anything, just went about my job. But as I started attending various conferences and, um, you know, uh, exhibitions and things like that, trade shows, I did notice that, you know, it was overwhelmingly men, very few women. And now that, you know, this is 10 years ago, so it has improved uh, Mm -hmm. as the years have gone by, but, you know, in other, 
other sectors of the industry, there's still a lot of, of gender inequality. And so that's what led me to write my book. I said, where are these women in the oil and gas industry? And, and they're out there. I found them, but we do need more. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so, so you know, now I, I have this great career of combining the two things of, of writing about women in the oil and gas industry. And I still continue to do land work and, and, you know, have some regular clients. I'm an independent like you mm-hmm. and, um, you know, happy, happy to keep it that way. It's nice to have our independence. And um, so that's, so that's how, yeah. So that's how I kind of merged the, the two things that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. That's wonderful. Let's talk about your book for a second. You gave us a little bit of introduction, how that started anyway, but what about the journey of writing it and going through the publishing and all that process? Sure. Um, it's it, it was a long, <laughs> arduous journey, as I think many writers would tell you. Um, mm-hmm. I did a lot of interviews for my book. It's, it's actually a compilation of um, 23 profiles. It does focus on the offshore uh, sector of the industry, and I'll I'll tell you just briefly how that happened. I thought I was going to write this broad overview of of women in the oil and gas industry, and you know, so we could understand when they first became involved, and you know, why why the numbers are still pretty low. You know, women make up about twenty percent of the industry, and highlight some of the women who have been successful because we all need to see those those role models and those examples mm-hmm. to know that you know. You, you can reach those heights. You can achieve those goals if that's if that's what you want to do. Not everybody does. So I, you know, I started doing my research and and going down the rabbit hole as we do, and <laughs> kind of like doing land work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And um, so I, I ended up coming across a woman who, at that time, was seventy two years old, and she was still working offshore, and. I thought offshore would be like maybe one chapter in the book. And so when I found this woman who was 72 years old, still working offshore, loved it. I thought, yeah, yeah, really. Wow. I thought, what in the world? Because, because, you know, we tend to think of that and maybe younger as retirement age. And maybe you go on to do something part-time or you have a hobby or whatever, but Working offshore, you know, is is a, a pretty tough job. So you don't expect to see 72-year-old women offshore. And uh, her name is Pat Thompson. I always have to give her a shout out. She's a Scottish lady. And we have actually met in person and become friends. But once I came across Pat, before I even knew her, I thought, I have to find out what it is that would compel somebody to work offshore, you know, and continue working well past retirement age and loving it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I contacted Pat, interviewed her for the book. We became friends. She even made a trip over to the States and stayed with me for a week. And the, the upshot of the whole thing is I was so fascinated by the offshore sector that that's what the book ended up being about. So we've got 23 women in there from all over the world, not just the United States, various um, ages, nationalities, job positions and roles. And so I think it ended up being a nicely 
balanced book that gives a pretty good, um, and not just overview, but a little deeper dive about what goes on offshore, you know, the kinds of jobs, the things that people do out there and, and the career paths that led them there. So it's called Breaking the Gas Stealing, Women in the Offshore Oil and Gas Industry. Very cool. And where can people get that if they're interested in looking into it more? Yeah, they can they can order it from Amazon. And I do have a website. It can be ordered from the website, which was which is also breakingthegasceiling.com. So, you know, we that's such a common expression, breaking the glass ceiling. So people sometimes want to change it to that. But I tried to do a play on words. Not sure if it worked or not, Mm -hmm. but, you know, with the industry. So it is gas ceiling. Very cool. Thank you. And uh, so from that point, the publishing part of it, getting it out there, what was that journey like for you? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, You know, a lot of people self-publish nowadays. I did not. But, um, you know, self-publishing used to sort of be like you were churning it out on a on a old Xerox machine in your garage or something, Mm -hmm. you know, that that it would have a lot of mistakes and it hadn't been edited. But but that's changed. There are some wonderful self-published books. And if somebody wants to write a book and get it out there quickly, that's probably the best way to go. Um, I did not have to find an agent, but I had actually worked with some other authors, one in particular doing PR. And as I worked with her and her publisher, I just, I just, and this happens to be Victor Volkman at Modern History Press. And I just thought, wow, what a wonderful guy. What a wonderful publisher. You know, he really takes care of his, his authors and, and tries to help them be successful because that, that's extremely difficult to do in the, in the publishing industry as a writer. You know, there's so many mm-hmm. books out there. You really have to stand out from the crowd or, or have the backing of a big publishing house. And, you know, there are only a few of those, those people out there, the John Grishams or <laughs> whomever, you know, right. And right. And, and most of us aren't going to, to do that, but you know, you would like your your book to have modest success and, and reach the audience you're targeting. So I I asked Victor Volkman at Modern History Press if he was taking on new clients. And I, I don't remember exactly. There was a bit of a backlog, but it, you know, it takes a while to write a book, particularly the kind I was doing with lots of interviews with people all over the world. So mm-hmm. it, it worked out. The timeline worked out and the book came out in May, 2019. So it's still, you know, relatively new. That's two years ago. And of course, then we had a year of COVID. So we don't count that. (laughs) So, you know, all the the in-person speaking engagements and the conferences got canceled. And so kind of feel like the book is almost, is really just one year old. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, when you tell people's stories, their history doesn't change. So that's, that's kind of nice. You know, it makes it sort of timeless. So you don't have to, to worry about, well, it's outdated now, or, you know, I need to, to update the studies, the statistics, the reports. That's not the case when you're telling someone's life story. So um, that's, that's fortunate for me, I guess, as an author. And, um, but I'm just, I'm just happy that these women's stories are out there. You know, the book is available uh, in electronic form as an ebook. And so, I love that about it. I call it a a virtual mentor. So women maybe who are in other places where they can't order it from my website or from Amazon can download the, or or sorry, the the ebook. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, use it, use it as a guide, as a, as a mentor, written mentor, as encouragement, you know, they could be in Africa and, or the Middle East or, uh, you know, somewhere like that and be able to download the book to their, you know, whatever device, their laptop or their phone and be able to read it. So um, that's, that's what I love about the electronic version, the e-version. Did you do an audio book as well? I did not. <laughs> um, my publisher is great though, like I said, and after sales reaches a certain point, you know, and then it does make it, you know, financially uh, viable. He does do eBooks. Uh, sorry. He does do uh, audiobooks. And mm-hmm. so that, you know, the day may come. <laughs> it would be nice. Yeah. I know. You know, I know a lot of people like those. I enjoy them myself sometimes, not always. I, I still, you know, I'm, I'm old fashioned, old school, whatever you want to say. I still like holding a, a paper copy of a book in my hands, but um, in a lot of cases, having an electronic um, book or an audio book available makes, makes sense for, for people. Yeah, I love the physical book, too. I like to underline and make notes and answer questions right in the book. Yes. Dog ear the pages. You bet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So it's nice when you can have a variety of formats available because, you know, like we say, different things suit different people. So maybe the audio, you know, if, if, if he comes out with an audio book, we'll make a big announcement. So that's a, a bit of a pivot for you. That's one of the things that we like to talk about on this podcast is the pivots that people make in their career, uh-huh. the pivot into doing land work, the pivot from doing in the courthouse research land work to writing a book and becoming an editor. And do you still do any of the courthouse research projects or is it? full-time focused on editing of the magazine and promoting that. Well, and if it's okay, you know, I'll, I'll do a little plug on the magazine, but, um, and and tell you how that fits into my, my work schedule about a year ago. Well, the magazine came out almost a year ago. We did a, a preview first, which was a condensed version. And then we came out with our first full issue um, of Oil Woman magazine Mm -hmm. in November of last year. So right in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And I have to give all the credit to the publisher who is Emmanuel Sullivan. And Emmanuel owns another magazine, a companion publication called Oil Man magazine. Some of your listeners may be familiar with it. Emmanuel has been the owner for about seven years, and it was being published uh, prior to that under a different publisher, under a different owner. And then Emmanuel purchased it. And he had contacted me uh, to write an article for him. And and so I did. But when we were talking, I jokingly said, "Okay, oil man. Now, what about oil woman? And, you know, I was half kidding, but half not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And. And he said, well, you know, that actually is something I've thought about. And I said, well, great. And I have worked on the staff of about four other magazines over the course of my career. And, you know, it costs a lot of money to run a magazine. It's an expensive venture and you do have to have advertising support. And uh, so, you know, I, I knew there was a lot that went into it. And I thought, well, you know, maybe someday down the road. And I didn't give it a whole lot more thought. Because there isn't any, 
thing like that in the industry that's devoted exclusively to women. Nobody else had done it. And so I didn't anticipate that he would, you know, anytime soon, if indeed he was serious about doing it. So I went on with my my other, um, you know, work and didn't give it much thought. And then in the middle of the pandemic, he contacted me and said, well, let's do it. I'm willing to start all women. And I almost fell off my chair because, you know, we were in the middle of a, of a worldwide pandemic and mm-hmm. we're, we're still in it to a certain extent. And I just couldn't imagine anybody willing to be able to, to take that kind of uh, chance, you know, professionally, financially, whatever, it, you know, under those circumstances. But I give him all credit for being a, a very brave entrepreneur and and we did we started the magazine and and we've gotten a wonderful reception it's um we do we have an online platform we have a digital edition and we have a limited print edition that uh originally started out being distributed at at trade shows and of course we that didn't happen last year but we're ramping back up again for mm-hmm. the nape and otc conferences that are that are kind of joint this year there's some overlap on the dates Mm -hmm. and so you know you can find both of those publications at either oilmanmagazine.com or oilwomanmagazine.com and um you know we're we're just particularly on the the oil woman side we're a little bit more um focused on uh, you know, telling people's stories. The all man side is a little bit more technical. They're starting to incorporate more uh, profiles and, and interviews. And then on the all woman side, we're trying to get a little more technical. So, um, and there are plenty of women out there who, you know, are, are very skilled in the technical side of things. Yes. It's just, it's just not my background, but so, yeah, we're trying to find that happy medium and and we've, um, you know, been been greeted with a very enthusiastic response because, as I said, there isn't anything out there like that for women in the industry. And again, I give all credit to Emmanuel Sullivan for being willing to take that leap. And you know, as as you've said, this is about pivoting. And so, if you don't mind, I'll just kind of segue into that. Certainly. Um, yeah, as as you well know, when this is a very cyclical industry. And when times are tough, sometimes people have to scramble to find ways to, to make ends meet if they're independents like we are, or if, you know, they unfortunately get, uh, you know, get let go during a downturn. And so even though he was still in publishing, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a pivot out of what he was already doing, but he brought on a new product. And I mean, he really took a chance. It was a risky thing to do, Mm -hmm. but it it seems to be working out well. You know, we all, we all hope so as we, you know, come upon the one year anniversary in November. And, um, you know, we just, we just want to continue and do bigger and, and better things with it and expand it. So we're we're very much looking forward to it, but that was that was a pivot for him, and um, it it wasn't you know so much a pivot in terms of being totally different from what I've done in the past, but it was mm-hmm. adding one more thing to the mix and taking this chance and hoping it would be successful. <laughs> so what what I've seen, Ryan, and I'm sure you have too, with with your other guests and people that you've talked to, is 
what I heard a lot when I was interviewing the women for my book, because most of them, or or, I don't want to say most, a lot of them, because I did try to include younger women as well, but a lot of the women who had been in the industry, you know, 20, 25, 30 years, of course, have seen a lot of downturns and a a lot of layoffs and, and various things like that. And what I kept hearing was the way they stayed relevant and resilient was they always kept learning and growing and adding new skills and that served them very well. And they, they also said their, their kind of their advice, what I took from it was they, they said, always be willing to, you know, be the one to go the extra mile, even if you don't want to do it. (laughs) And sometimes we don't, you know, everybody's busy, every, you know, people are tired. Sometimes they have a lot going on. They have families, but they said, you know, if you can try to be the one who volunteers, try to be the one who, um, you know, takes on that extra assignment or is willing to learn that extra skill. And so I think that that's really important. And that, um, no, nobody is, I guess in, in any industry, this is not exclusive to oil and gas. Nobody is, is indispensable, but, you know, you you try to make yourself as marketable as possible. And that gives you that extra edge, having additional skills and, and being willing to take on challenges and mm-hmm. learn new things. Yeah, it certainly does. You know, that's something that I agree wholeheartedly with. It's something that I advocate to our listeners and people that I communicate with in this industry is develop your skills. And that's briefly how... I've been able to keep working in this industry because I had a wise crew chief early on that walked me through the paces of learning, negotiating, learning title, learning how to lead other landmen and getting a project done. As we develop mm-hmm. those skills, it just gives us opportunities that we can better serve our clients and be able to keep working. So I love that. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there are lots of opportunities out there, whether you take a short online course or, um, like I said, I interviewed a wide variety of women in in different sectors and things like that. So this advice doesn't apply to everybody. But, you know, some of them felt like getting an MBA, even if it was, you know, a little later in their career, was valuable to them. Although, you know, I did have some say it's, it's not a necessity, but you know, for their particular situation, they felt like it would increase uh, their chances of moving up the ladder, uh, you know, and advancing in their career. Thanks for listening to the Landman Pivot Podcast. I'm Ryan Fairbanks, RPL. Join us next time for part two of this conversation, where you can learn more about the resources we have to offer. 